You know, I don't know anybody's any harder on themselves than a preacher is on himself. But I have tried to characterize my preaching and teaching through the years, and it is, uh, I, I don't know how to describe it other than in the words of the poet. He said, There are hermit souls that live withdrawn in the place of their self-content. There are souls like stars that dwell apart in fellowless firmament. There are pioneer souls that blaze the paths where highways never ran. But let me live by the side of the road and be a friend to man. Let me live in a house by the side of the road where the race of men go by. The men who are good and the men who are bad. As good and as bad as I. I would not sit in the scorner's seat nor hurl the cynic's ban. But let me live in the house by the side of the road and just be a friend to man. I see from my house by the side of the road, by the side of the highway of life, the men who press with ardor or hope, the men who are faint with their strife. But I turn not away from their smiles or their tears, but parts of an, but are part, both are part of an infinite plan. Just let me live in a house by the side of the road and be a friend to man. Let me live in a house by the side of the road where the race of men go by. They are good, they are bad, they are weak, they are strong, wise, foolish, so am I. Then why should I sit in the scorner's seat or hurl the cynic's ban? Please let me live in my house by the side of the road and just be a friend to man. I think that's what my preaching summed up in. If I can help somebody a little further along in their journey, then I feel like I have done what God has called me to do. There are some people that are great doctrinal preachers and I try to put in enough doctrine and all of the other things that are necessary for us to live. But there are some things about life that I need just encouragement. And I come tonight to bring a word of encouragement to somebody. I'm going to read from the book of Jeremiah, the, the 10th chapter. And I am going to read one verse out of this entire book. But I think it sums up the hope of my message tonight. Jeremiah chapter 10, why don't you stand in honor of the Word of God and let, if they can throw it up on the, on the wall, Jeremiah 10 and verse number 19. Verse number 19 of Jeremiah 10. If you don't know where Jeremiah is, we're going to have to have a real serious talk. Amen. Uh, some of our kids don't know the books of the Bible, and so we're going to bribe them whatever we have to do to get them to learn them. But we need to know how to use the Word of God. If you don't know where Jeremiah is, just start in Revelations and start going the other way, and you'll come across it sooner or later. It's in the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse number 19. Let's read it together. Woe is me for my hurt, 
My wound is grievous, but I said, Truly, this is a grief, and I must bear it. Read that last line again. And I must bear it. Truly, this is a grief, but I must bear it. God bless you. You may be seated. I don't know very many people who do not have a mind in their life that get through life without a broken heart. There are not very many people that get through life without a heartache, without a broken dream or a lost cause or perhaps an unexplained event in life. Life has its measure of sorrow and shadow and suffering and pain. And certainly it has its fill of disappointment. And it meets it out to every one of us. I must be honest with you tonight. Life plays no favorites when it comes to grief. The great thread of sorrow, the poet said, is woven sooner or later, into the fabric of every life. And I would have to concur with those words. Grief, that word in itself almost depresses you. And you wonder, why in the world would you pick a topic like that to preach on? Grief, it sends chills through the soul because it says so much in such a short way. It speaks of calamity. It speaks of fainting or sickness. The original word in the Hebrew refers to weakness or anxieties or any kind of malady that sets you back. It is overwhelming. It is suffocating at times and certainly it can overpower a person. Disappointment and sorrow, heartache and pain and misery and unhappiness sometimes become more than we can bear. And for most of us, I would have to say that grief is most often viewed in our life as an intruder and a catastrophe rather than an invited guest or blessing. Yet it is amid the things that grieve us and the things that disappoint us and how we bear them and how we respond to them that determines whether or not our life is blessed or cursed, whether we advance or regret. We need not be frightened or bewildered nor panic-stricken by the sorrowful sufferings of life or the painful changes that come to our lives. But we must understand, as Jeremiah did, that they are simply life. Amen. Jeremiah was a man of many tears. He was called to a people that were destined to God's correction. And it was going to be a grievous correction. His purpose to his people was to instruct them 
It was to warn them. It was to somehow awaken them and turn them if he could. And as the revelation of God's purpose began to roll into his soul and the waves of judgment that were coming upon Israel began to crash over his mind, Jeremiah himself began to feel the weight of that sorrow and pain and it is reflected in his own word. If you would just turn very quickly to Jeremiah chapter 4 and listen to Jeremiah in his exclamation of the coming sorrow. He said, Behold, he shall come up as clouds and his chariot shall be as a whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe unto us, for we are spoiled. We are robbed. Verse number 20 says, Destruction upon destruction is cried, for the whole land is spoiled. Suddenly are my tent spoiled, and my curtain is in a moment. Not just Israel, but Jeremiah himself was going to suffer the fate of God's people. In Jeremiah 8 and 18, again, he said, When I would comfort myself against sorrow, my heart is faint in me. What a place to be. As he listened to the word of the Lord that came to him, suddenly it dawned on him that he himself would not be exempt from that. And as he listened to the complaining of Israel of what was coming, it was not long until that complaint became his complaint. And their words became his words. And then in chapter 10, he suddenly checks his lament. He, he stops himself and he seems to make an adjustment in the direction that he was going. And as he was about to launch into another tirade of complaining, he stopped himself and he changed his speech. And he decides that that moment, that this is not the way for an overcomer to act. He, in essence, I think, must have said to himself, I am beginning to sound like a lot of other people in this world, and I don't like the sound of what I'm hearing. Amen. And when he recognized that fate that awaited he and his people, he realized that instead of succumbing to its fear, he would do something much wiser. And he makes this profound statement. Woe is me for my hurt. My wound is grievous. But I said, truly, this is a grief. And I must bear it. Man, what a statement. When I read that, I thought, my Lord, if I don't do anything but get up and read that verse 
and read it again and again until it gets down into the very fiber of your soul and gets down into the crevices of your brain and wakes you up and makes you realize life is what it is and you need to stand up and live it. I might want to change it. I might not like what it looks like. I may not appreciate what's happening. But Jeremiah said, this is what it is. And so I am going to bear it. Amen. What a statement. I think this is probably one of the greatest declarations of faith you'll find in the Bible. Knowing what was coming. Knowing what God had already shown him. It was a declaration of faith. But not only was it a declaration of faith, but I believe it was a statement of intent in his own life that not only am I going to live my life in faith, but I am also going to be faithful in the life that I live. I am going to be faithful. I am not going to charge God foolishly, but I am going to serve him humbly. And what Jeremiah did to me is amazing. He makes a declaration as he faces the painful disappointment of life that changed his life forever. And when he did this, it armed him against whatever the future would hold for him. Now, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I know this much, that from Jeremiah 1 to Jeremiah 10, God had already shown him enough to overwhelm him. God had already shown him enough that was coming that would darken anybody's sky. And there's several more chapters to go. He wasn't through writing and God wasn't through speaking. So in my mind, I'm thinking, all right, If this is what God's shown me so far, my Lord have mercy, what does the future hold for me? I mean, if it's this bad now, by the time we get to Jeremiah 40, it's going to be worse than bad. And I think that perhaps was what triggered in Jeremiah the decision. You know what? I am not going to be held victim to what might be. Or what could be. I already know how tough life already is. And I don't know that I'm prepared for what's coming. But I am not going to live as a victim of life. And all of its changes. And all of its pain and suffering. None of us ever dreamed that we would have to go through some of the heartaches that we've had to go through. I wouldn't have written my life story the way it's been written. I wouldn't have gone down the road that some of you have had to go down, and I don't want to get too personal, but there are people in this building that's been through death's door. They have been through separation from family. They have been through the loss financially of everything that they own. They've lost jobs They've had people turn their back on them and walk away from them. They have been lied on and lied about. And yet, in spite of all of that, you're still here. 
and you're still living and you are still alive. I'm not sure what the attitude might be, but maybe by the time I get through, I'll help you with your attitude so that when you leave here tonight, you're not leaving here in that same foul spirit that you came, puckered up about everything, waiting for somebody to say something that will set you off, but you can walk out of here with your head up and say, you know what, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I I look back over my life and I see the tears that I've already shed and I can't imagine what tears I have yet to shed, but I'm not going to be held hostage to what might come down the road. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I do know this, that as for me, from this moment on, I am going to bear whatever life gives me and I'm going to stand up to whatever life throws down my way. Man, praise God. When, for a man to say something like that, you talk, he's got to have a lot of faith in God. For him to say that, he has to have a great deal of confidence that God must have a plan and there is a purpose of that pain with his plan. Somehow I believe that Jeremiah remembered that he was not an accident. That he was called of God. That he was called from his mother's womb. That there was a divine purpose for his life. That God had a plan. And there was something in him that said, in spite of what I see coming, I am still a child of God. And it may be a mess what I'm looking at, but it's not going to mess me up. It may be a tragedy, but it is not going to be the end of my life. Without that kind of faith, you and I will misunderstand the pain and we will misinterpret the problems that God allows to come into our life. And if we're not careful, we will resent how God works his business out in our life. Here is a faith that was greater than his fears, greater than even the facts that stood before him. And when you face grief or disappointment in that way, and in that kind of spirit and with that kind of attitude, when you face it with that kind of faith, you strip disappointment and you strip grief of its ability to destroy you amen when you stand up before God and say this is a grief I acknowledge that this is my life And I must bear it. You strip whatever that problem or whatever that trouble or whatever that disappointment has of destroying your life. And you hear me tonight. Disappointment has done more to derail and train wreck God's people than anything else that I know of in life. 
disappointment. People that leave church and go away from God, why? Because they're disappointed. Something let them down. God failed them. God didn't answer their prayer. Or he didn't answer their prayer the way they wanted to. And so disappointment has a way of disillusioning us. And disappointment has a way of embittering us. Not only to life, but to God. And when you declare, this is my issue. This is my pain. This is my problem. This is my hurt. This is my life. This is the way it is. But I can bear it. I will bear it. I must bear it. It will not destroy me. It will not tear me apart. It will not undo what God has begun in my life. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord and give Him praise right now. When you face disappointment in that way, you strip it of its ability to destroy you. By simply accepting it, you take away the sting in which it would like to inflict pain in your body. Now, we don't like that because we don't want pain. We don't like disappointment because we don't like disappointment. We like being happy. We like everybody, uh, you know, doing what we like them to do. We like everybody, you know, kind of cowing to us, meeting all our needs, taking care of all of our desires. We like that. We like people catering to us. Am I getting too close to home tonight? Am I not being a friend by the side of the road? It's not what happens when life caters to us that makes or breaks life. It's when life doesn't cater to us that we find out what kind of people we are. You know, I thought back over last year, and I, I don't know, I, maybe maybe I'm misreading, but I would have to say that last year was probably the hardest year of my pastoral life for many reasons. It, it, was, it was a year from hell in many ways, from the start of the year until the end of the year. And I thought, God, why, when we had such great momentum, would you allow a flood to so devastate our building and put us in such disarray that we didn't even have a place to worship? God said, I know what kind of people you are when you've got carpet on the floor and you've got good pews to sit on and air conditioning that works. What I want to find out is what kind of people you are when your back's against the wall and nothing's going your way, I want to know whether or not you've got the guts or the determination or the faith to stand up and say, this is life. I'm going to live it. I don't like it. 
I wouldn't have picked it this way. I wouldn't have chosen it this way. This certainly isn't what I want or desire, but this is life. And instead of whining or crying or getting mad or getting bitter or all the other things that it can happen, Jeremiah said, you know what? I am just going to stand up and take it. I'm going to stand up and live in spite of everything that's coming to destroy what I love and appreciate. I'm going to serve God if all this world goes wrong. I'm still going to praise Him. I'm going to worship Him. I'm going to love Him. You know what? God knows what you are when the sun's shining. The reason He sends tests are to find out what you're like when when it doesn't shine. You know, we pray for God to increase our faith. How does that happen? How, how God just takes a needle and he jabs it in you and he just starts pumping you up. And you just, faith, 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 faith. No. Most often, God takes that plug out and lets life completely drain out of you to where you're down to nothing. Now let's see if you can make it. And the only way faith grows is for you to get up on your feet, weak as you might be, feeble as you might feel like you are, but get up on your feet and say, you know what? I don't like it. I don't appreciate it. I don't understand it. But I'm going to live it. This is what I've learned about living for God. You don't have to understand God to live for God. You don't have to understand life to live life. And there are a lot of things that you have to learn how to live through in life that it will take eternity for you to understand. And you know all of us that say, Man, I've got some things I want to ask God when I get to heaven. My Bible tells me that when we get there, nobody's going to want to ask any questions. Because when you get there and you look back, I believe every one of us are going to see the way God had to bring us. And we realize there was no other way to get me here than the path that he took me. You say, I don't believe that, Brother Hughes. Well, you believe whatever you want to believe, but I've lived long enough to understand there's a lot of things that have happened in my life and your life that are not fair and it doesn't, it doesn't make sense and you don't deserve it, but God allowed them to happen. So either God doesn't know what He's doing or God has a plan. And when we look back, We're going to see what we thought was a broad, open freeway was a dead end. And what we thought was a dead end was a path to life. Amen. Praise God. When you decide to live the way Jeremiah decided to live, it will change not only the spirit of your life, but it will change the language that you use to describe your life and what happens in your life. I love it. I, I, I like people that can say what it is. You don't have some people that have a hard time admitting what the reality of it is. And you ask them, well, well what's going on? 
and they can stumble around for 30 minutes and never tell you what's wrong. I like Jeremiah. He just came out and said it, but it is a grief. It hurts. It pains me. It, it, it hurts. But this is what he, in essence, said. It is a, gra- uh, it is a grief, but it is not a grave. It may hurt, but it's not the end. It may be painful, but it's part of the process. It was a grief, but it was no place for Jeremiah to be groveling over what had happened in his life. It was not his enemy. It was not an accident. It was not an intruder. It was part of the plan of God to get Israel where they needed to be. And it was painful. And all he knew to say was, this is a grief. (laughs) This, This is a grief. And I must bear it. When we say such things, we are saying that life doesn't have to be perfect for us to live it. Do you know how many whiny, I hate to use that word, but that's the only good word I can think of. Do you know how many, I need to educate myself a little better, I guess. I need to get a dictionary and learn some new words, but. I better get back to my notes before I go too far here. I'm not going to say that. I'm just not going to say that. When you take authority over your life like Jeremiah did over his... And that's really what he did. He quit letting life and circumstances and problems and disappointments and hurts and all the other stuff. He quit letting it drive his life. He quit letting it determine his happiness. He was sorrowful, certainly. He's known as the weeping prophet. Nobody wept more than Jeremiah wept. And yet, somehow he learned that when you stand up in faith, and you in faith, not in yourself, but faith in God, when you take authority over your life, you are saying, in essence, I am going to decide what grief or disappointment does. Grief is not going to decide what it does. You are in essence saying that instead of waiting for fate to take his life and ruin it, he said, I am going to stand up and take life by the horns and I am going to make it work for me. It is a grief. Everybody say that. It is a grief and I must bear it. 
Amen. Now you said that first part, but not very many of you said that last part. Because that's not our philosophy of life. If we're spirit-filled people, God's supposed to take care of all of our problems. He's, He's not supposed to make life so hard for us. It ought to be a lot easier than this. I mean, we ought to have smooth sailing. I mean, all the reprobates in the world and all the no-gooders and the, all, all, all of the foul spirits that are in our world, they, they ought to be having trouble, not us. I mean, you've got a guy that cheats on his family and cheats on the government, and yet he's filthy rich. You, get, you have a guy that flaunts his own immorality and life before the world and still runs for president. And I won't even tell you who it is, but you probably figure it out. He's got the brass of a billion ball bearings. And yet, you and I sometimes go through the furnace of affliction And when you look at it, you say, what's fair about this? I mean, what is the use in living for God anyway? Well, I can tell you a whole lot, but don't ever get that nearsighted. And that's what Jeremiah was trying to stay away from. If you let disappointment and grief start working on you, it'll make you so nearsighted that all you see is the now and the present moment. And Jeremiah began to realize that this isn't all there is. There's something beyond this, and there's something beyond that, and there's something beyond that, that God has a plan, and my life is part of that plan, and what is happening to me right now is not an accident. It is an appointment. Amen. And when we say such things as that, we are saying life doesn't have to be perfect for me to live it. It may not be what I want it to be. It may not be how I planned it. It may not be ideal. But I'm going to live it. Amen. He did not blame God or other people. He didn't pass the buck. He didn't fight it. He just tried to make God the focus of his life. He didn't try to make God change his mind, just make him the focus of his life. He accepted by faith. It was an opportunity. Everybody say an opportunity. Amen. Haven't I said to you before that in every opposition there is opportunity? probably the most important spiritual lesson you'll ever learn about living for God is that in every opposition, there is an opportunity for two things. Maturity, growing up, and ministry. God doesn't let you go through the trials you go through so you can just put them away in the history books And leave them for the annals of time. But God lets you go through the things that you go through. Corinthians says, God comforted you, Paul. And God comforted you, Corinthians. So that you in turn might what? Comfort others. 
So whenever there is a disappointment or wherever there's a pain or wherever there's something that's chaotic in your life, always remember that it is an opportunity for me to grow. Sometimes grow up. We don't have any problems like that around here, do we? Hmm? No? Did I come to the wrong church tonight? An opportunity for maturity or an opportunity for ministry? An opportunity for developing the courage that it's needed to fight the battles of life. And you know what? You and I need that tonight. I can't stop it. I can't prevent it. I don't like it. But I can bear it. Amen. I can bear it. And this is what I've learned. That if you can bear it, it can never break you. But if you don't learn to bear it, it will break you. The cross. Nobody deserved what Jesus got. Nobody wants a cross. But he carried that cross and he bore that cross and that that statement is made and etched into Scripture. His willingness to bear the cross. Now you would think that a cross would break somebody. It's going to destroy him. He's going to die there. Yep. He's going to die there, but he's not going to stay there. That's not the end. And because he bore the cross, he was able to despise the shame. He was able to lead captivity captive and give gifts to men. Because he was able to bear his cross, it could not break him. And when they put him away in that tomb, it was only for a short while. Somebody said, why did they use a borrowed tomb? Why buy something you're not going to keep? He wasn't planning on staying in there long. But the point is, when you will do what Jeremiah did a long time ago and what Jesus did and what you and I need to learn how to do that if we will somehow stand up and say, you know what, this is a grief. And I must bear it. I can bear it. I will bear it. Do you understand the amazing courage that it takes to say stuff like that? Do you understand the determination that that invokes? And do you understand the decisions that are made in that moment He made one decision that altered the future of his life. I'm going to close. I don't know if you can handle any more of this. (laughs) Jack Hiles pastored one of the largest independent Baptist churches in the world in Chicago, Illinois, many years ago. He's dead now, but he had an incredibly... Uh, powerful evangelistic church uh, 
They broke records back in the years past in the 70s. They had 120,000 people in Sunday school. Amazing, amazing church. I've been there. I've heard Jack House preach many times. But he's, he, he made a statement in a minister's conference one time that just it stuck with me and I have never gotten away from it. And he said, when I first started preaching, he said, I was so ignorant, 21 years of age. He said, I had no idea what to do. I didn't know how to preach. I didn't know how to study. I didn't know how to lead people. All I knew was I had a hunger in my heart to do something for God. And so he said, I went out in the country up by Marshall, Texas, the first church that he ever pastored. He said, I went out in the woods to an area where I would go to pray, and there was a stump. And he said, I stayed all night in prayer at that stump. And in the wee hours of the morning, after praying and crying out to God, he said, I, I said, God, I need some things that will help establish my life from this point forward so that I won't ever have to look back and wonder about my life. And God gave him five principles to live by. And one of those principles was that you make decisions that make decisions for you. That you don't have to come to every crisis in life and try to, okay, now what am I going to do? How am I going to act? Am I going to have a smile? Or am I going to be mad? Am I going to scream or am I going to cuss or am I going to pull my hair? Or am I going to beat my husband or kick the dog? You know, life's a yo-yo when you live like that. And there's a, you know, strangely enough, there's a lot of people that live like that. Even stranger than that, there's a lot of people in church that live that way. Their life is just like that. But he said, I, God said, make decisions that make decisions for you. And so many years later, that was in Marshall, Texas. Fast forward probably 20 years. He is now pastoring in Chicago. He was at that time part of a large denomination. And there was a college that um, was, was deviating from the biblical principles, and yet it still came under the canopy of their organization, and he refused to support it. They put pressure on him. And on that day, he got up and walked out of that meeting and became independent. And men called him from weeks and weeks and said, Man, how in the world could you do that? He said, It was very easy. He said, I made a decision a long time ago that I was going to stand by certain principles. And when I made that decision, when I came to that crisis moment, I didn't have to say, okay, now am I going to stay in this or am I going to leave? Am I going to do this? Am I going to compromise? He said, I made a decision a long time ago. So it was clear to me when that moment came, I didn't have to wonder. I didn't have to question. I didn't have to get input. I didn't have to go to somebody and say, man, am I thinking right? I made a decision years ago that I was going to stand for what was right no matter what it cost me. And there are decisions that you can make in life that will make decisions for you. And that was Jeremiah made one. He said, this is a grief. He didn't tell us what that grief is. 
He didn't describe what that grief was. And he didn't even tell how long it was going to last. He just said, this is a grief. And I must bear it. I will bear it. I can bear it. So in the days to come when new tragedies came, he didn't have to sit down and have a pity party and fall apart and say, oh God, where are you at? I'm going to pull my hair out. He went back to that decision that he made that day when he said, you know what, this is life and I just got to live it. Do you realize that in all, and I really do need to close, Jeremiah preached as passionately and fervently as anybody in the whole Bible. He did more to reach his people than probably any other prophet. And God did not spare him. When Babylon came and took away the, the, the heart of Israel and left only the poor and the ravaged and they decimated their country, Jeremiah, according to history, was taken into Egypt and he was martyred for preaching the truth. God didn't even save him from that. But it didn't matter because that wasn't the end of his life. It was just a passageway to a greater life. And so you and I, there's a lot of things about life that are hard to understand. And there are times we find ourselves in places that if we could do anything we wanted to do, we would probably just scream real loud. Or we would punch somebody close to us. Am I telling you the truth? And Jeremiah was there. It, it hurt. Man, it hurt. It was hard to understand. It didn't make sense. There was no reason. There was no explanation. And you know what? God didn't explain anything. He didn't tell him why. And so Jeremiah made a decision. I'm not going to wait for every crisis to come along to figure out what I'm going to do, how I'm going to act or react. I'm not going to wait to every little detail of life. I think I can make a decision today that can affect my life for eternity. This is a grief. And I must bear it. Praise God. You know how liberating that is? Woo! Hallelujah. That burden just rolled off of my back. The depression goes running out the door. Suicide gets its suitcase and leaves. Manic depression has to pack its bags and all its pills and head for the door. Because you can't depress a person that's got a mind like that. You can't defeat a person that said, hey, life, problems, disappointment, you're not determining what my life is going to be like. I'm going to determine what my life is going to be like. You're not going to make me or break me. I've learned something about living for God. If you can put your hand in His hand and your trust in Him, God can take you through anything. 
Amen. We could learn a lot from this old prophet, and I'm closing. Come on, stand, so I will. Somehow there breathes a spirit in this verse to me, and it did over and over and over today. I'm going to make it through this. I'm going to make it through this. Say that with me. I'm going to make it through this. I'm, I am going to make it through this. I'm going to overcome this. It's not going to overcome me. I am going to rise above it. I'm going to bear it so it doesn't break me. Mm-mm-mm. Praise God. The sooner we get to the place in life that we are not surprised by its disappointments, the sooner we gain the victory over them. Amen. I can make it. Praise God. Can I say one more thing? I want you to notice what he didn't say. This is what I really need to leave alone, but i got to say it. This is too good to not share. <laughs> Jeremiah did not say, this is my grief, so I must share it. I could have left that one alone, couldn't I? <laughs> Woo! He didn't pass it on to others. He didn't press others into the bearing of his burden. He didn't bend every ear to hear his sob story. He didn't try to find anybody he could that would listen to him either. Never a day passes by without someone else's life becoming miserable because somebody helped make it that way. Because they had to share their grief. (laughs) Oh, Lord. (laughs) It is a grief. And I must bear it. I can bear it. I will bear it. Why don't you lift your hands and thank God tonight that you are able to overcome. It doesn't matter what you're facing tonight. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with. It doesn't matter what the hurt or the disappointment or the pain or the suffering. This is life. This is life. And I can live it. Amen, 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 amen. Oh, God. Help me tonight, God.